war, politics, social unrest, economic uncertainty, international conflicts, climate change. What is the significance of these current events? Where are we heading? Pastor Gary Webster shares answers from the Bible, giving you hope and certainty in the times ahead. Welcome to Countdown, Back to the Future. This episode is entitled, Night Cry, Demonic Dimensions. Father, help us to have eyes that uh, see and hearts that are willing to follow. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a little boy, I was scared of the dark. Anybody been scared of the dark when they were kids? Yeah, I I can see a few. Well, you know, you ever had a nightmare in the middle of the night and you wake up when you're a little kid and you're trying to pluck up enough courage to call on your mum and dad? (laughs) I can remember that doing quite a few times. Just lying there thinking, man, do I have... You never know what's in the dark thing, do you? <laughs> and so finally, after a nightmare and what seemed ages, I would, I would uh, call out, Mommy! Daddy! And what seemed like an endless age, would suddenly the little light would flick on down the hallway and I'd race out of bed and jump into bed with Mum and Dad and everything would be happily ever after. You ever had those experiences? <laughs> Well, I want to talk to, to this afternoon about a cry in the night, not from a boy in the dark, but from another cry in the night, demonic dimensions. John saw a prostitute riding on a scarlet-coloured beast in Revelation chapter 17 and chapter 18. Notice what the Bible says. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots or prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. Pretty strong language, isn't it? So what's this all about this afternoon? Who is this Babylon the Great prostitute? How do we understand all of this? Well, we need to go back to the book of Revelation again to understand a few things where we are here. You notice that there are many symbols in the book of Revelation. We've noticed that many times now, haven't we? And as we've said, these are interpreted by the Bible. We don't just get at, guess at it or say someone else told me, so that's what it is. You will notice again, as we saw, when was it? Last weekend, I think it was. We saw there are contrasting pairs all the way through the book of Revelation. There is a marriage supper of the lamb and a supper of the birds. Last weekend, we saw there's a mark or seal of God and a mark or seal of the beast. Now, in this program, we notice there's a pure woman and a prostitute lady. And as we saw last weekend, we discover one in the pair by looking at the opposite. We can gain a lot of information. It's going to be something similar but in opposition, in contrast to the other one. So in order to understand who this prostitute is and all of that, let's have a look at the pure woman and then it will become very clear where John is taking us. So John says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun 
and the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. You notice she's covered with light from head to foot. Light in the Bible, of course, is a symbol of righteousness and so on. This is a picture of God's people. That's what she represents. First of all, she represents not only the people in the Old, but also the New Testament, God's church. First of all, let's have a look at Old Testament Israel. The Bible says in Jeremiah 6, verse 2, I have likened the daughter of Zion, that's Israel, to a lovely and delicate or attractive woman. So God's people in the Old Testament are pictured in this way as a woman. The Old Testament church. In fact, the Old Testament people of God, the Israel of God, was called the church. Notice what it says in the book of Acts. This is he that was in the church or the assembly, the congregation in the wilderness. That's with Moses, with the angel which spoke to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. So the Old Testament people or the Old Testament church of God was represented, first of all, by the pure woman. But John sees this dragon chasing this woman uh, and trying to catch hold of the baby, remember? Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That's clearly the picture of the Christmas story as we talked about it some time ago. So God's Old Testament people longed for this deliverer, this promised child from way back in the time of Adam and Eve down to our own time. For example, Adam and Eve, their first child, they called him Cain, which means we've got the man from God. They thought that this was going to be the one evidently, but it turned out to be the first murderer. Not good. And so all down through Israel's history, they longed for the Messiah. That's how this woman is pictured as pregnant and they're wanting the, to give birth to this child, the Christ child. So when the dragon can't get the baby because it's caught up to God and his throne, he now chases down the woman. Let's pick it up. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave, in other words, had given birth to the male child. Now it's God's people since the time of Christ. That's who the pure woman represents. And so when we go to the New Testament, what do we see? we see God's New Testament people as represented by a woman, the New Testament church. Paul says, I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So there is the picture again. What a great picture of God's people. God's church or his people is called his bride. Could there be a more loving term that God could picture for his bride? I remember in one of the churches I used to look after in, uh, in Canberra, there was a dear lady, Nancy was her name. She was a, a great soul. She came to me often and uh, she would say, Pastor, 
My husband left me for another lady, but I have a better husband. <laughs> my maker is my husband, she would say. That's from the Isaiah, isn't it? My maker is my husband. We are the bride of Christ. So who is Babylon? Therefore, the, the great prostitute, the woman, the pure woman is God's people, his church in both the Old and the New Testament. So who does this apostate or great prostitute represent? This is an apostate or an unfaithful church or people of God, people who have turned away. Notice what James says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Notice what James is saying here. What is an adulterer or an adulteress? Adulterers are Christians who belong to the world while they profess to love Christ. They've got a foot in both camps. That's the way James pictures it. So people who claim to be followers of God, but in actual fact are not following God. They have a foot in the world as well as in God's camp. Now, Babylon the Great is made up of three parts in the Bible. Let's notice the three parts of Babylon. Now, the great city was divided into three parts and great Babylon was remembered before God. This is the seventh plague. But you see clearly Babylon is divided into three parts, the three parts that constitute it. How do we know what they are? What are these three parts of Babylon the great prostitute. Well, we go now to this sixth plague, the plague just before the seventh one that we've just read. Notice what John says. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. What's going on here? Remember we've seen in this series many times that John in the Revelation picks up stories from the Old Testament. We saw the other one uh, last evening. Now he picks up Babylon and we've already seen some of this in a previous program. Remember King Cyrus of Medo-Persia dried up the Euphrates River to take Babylon. Remember, he drained the river as much as possible and his soldiers were able to march along and get into Babylon to get to take the city. Now, Euphrates, when you read that, that's code for Babylon because Babylon was on the Euphrates River. So John is wanting us to think Babylon the Great when he says the Euphrates is dried up. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. Remember one of the plagues was frogs in Egypt, the 10 plagues, if you've ever read the story of, of, uh, of uh, Moses and so on. The frogs were everywhere, in your kitchen sink, in your bed, <laughs> in the bath. <laughs> they were everywhere. So what God is saying, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. In the end of time, they're going to be everywhere, like in Egypt coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Wow, you can see the three parts of Babylon here. There on the Euphrates River. Babylon the Great is made up of these three players that we've been looking at. 
the land beast, the sea beast and the dragon. This is Babylon the Great in the end of time. It acts like the old Babylon in the Old Testament. Now, the dragon, we've seen who the dragon is. Well, that's Satan, but he doesn't come with a pitchfork, remember, and a pointy tail. He always uses fronts. And so this dragon represents Satan and all of his non-Christian fronts that he used, ideologies, world beliefs and systems, the whole bang lot. Non-Christian religions and worldviews. The Dark Age Church, we've seen, that's renewed with great power in the end of time. This is the sea beast. We talked about that last Sabbath. Then the land beast, that represents America with apostate Protestantism that is no longer following, but is going back to Babylon. Remember, we saw that last week. It's turning away from the protest that was made by some of those great priests and bishops back in the middle in the 1500s. So Babylon collectively, these three powers, represents Christian and non-Christian religions and worldviews and ideologies that are not following God and his word. That's what Babylon the Great stands for in the end of time. All of that together. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. She's dressed up for to get a guy. That's what it's saying here. She's a prostitute decked out to go get someone. And adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Here is an interesting picture of this woman. But notice something else. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. This is interesting. What's this wine that the prostitute uses to make people drunk so that they don't think clearly anymore? What's this wine? Well, we go back to the story of Jesus. Jesus likened his teachings to new wine. In other words, unfermented grape juice. Because in the Bible, new wine is grape juice. You notice it here? No one puts new wine in old wineskins, said Jesus, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins. And in the context, he was talking about the teachings of the Pharisees. And he said, no, no, I've got new wine, grape juice. Here it is. As the new wine is found in the cluster, in the bunch of grapes. And one says, don't destroy it, for a blessing is in it. So Christ likened his teachings, his beliefs that he was imparting, he likened it to grape juice, that sort of wine. Because wine, the word wine, is used for both alcoholic and non-alcoholic. We saw in our last program, uh, yesterday, last evening, and it's the context that tells us the difference. So the alcoholic wine then represents Babylon's false teachings, the teachings that actually come from the dragon himself. Notice what Paul warned when he wrote to his friend Timothy. Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times, in the days to come, in other words, some will depart from the faith. Some will turn aside from the teachings of the Bible. 
What will they do? Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines or teachings of demons. You see where this is going now. This intoxicating cup that this woman has, this prostitute has, it's the false teachings that come from Babylon, in other words. The alcoholic wine, Babylon's false teachings, such as baptism by sprinkling, we've seen. Baptism was by immersion in the Bible. Remember, we went to Rome and we saw the great church of St. John of Laterano in Rome, where they have a big baptistry that was last used in 1200 AD. We went to the Leaning Tower of Pisa and saw there a, a, an octagonal baptistry so deep, last used about 1200 AD. The church used to baptize, but changed it to sprinkling as time went on. The immortal soul idea, the idea that there's an immortal soul in us, this doesn't come from the Bible, it comes from these false teachings. Sunday or the first day worship came from outside of the Bible. And then the idea of an eternally burning hell. This teaching comes from pagan teachings. It's not in the Bible. Remember we saw what happens? Hell is at the end of the world. No one roasts and toasts for eternity, we saw. Even the devil is reduced to ashes, the Bible says, and those who hold on to sin. God is not a monster, a bloodthirsty monster who loves to roast and toast people for eternity. We saw that very clearly. But this teaching, this one says God is a, a, a real grotesque sort of a being who loves to roast people for eternity. No, this is a false teaching. Now, Babylon's false teachings corrupt the world. It's not just that these are wrong teachings, but wrong teaching will have a bad effect on people. Let's have a look. So now this brings us to the second angel's message. We've seen the first and we saw the third last weekend. Now we see the second message. Notice what it says. Another angel followed them. Now watch carefully. Babylon is fallen. Those three powers together that make up Babylon, it's fallen, it's fallen. That great city. Why is it falling? Because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Why is she fallen? Because she's corrupting the world. Now let's think about this for a moment. Do Babylon's false teachings really corrupt the world? Think about it. What about this one? Immortal soul. So people try to contact the immortal souls, the dead, but who are they contacting? The demons we saw last couple of weeks ago. When we try to contact the dead, we're actually not looking at the dead. We're not hearing from the dead. We're hearing from demons. This corrupts people. What about this one? Sunday sacredness. Because people turn from the Sabbath, which reminds us of creation in six days, now we have evolution because Christians have forgotten the Sabbath. Therefore, we forget the God who made the world because that's what the Sabbath from. So we have evolution today, largely because Christianity turned away from the Seventh-day Sabbath. We've forgotten. We weren't made in the image of a monkey. We were made in the image of God. It corrupts the world. What about the idea of eternal hell? As we saw in this presentation last weekend, what does that do? That makes God a horrible monster and people say, I don't want God. Why would you want to know a God like that? So there are atheists out of that teaching. 
I tell you, my friends, that's why Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. All truth will lead to better things. Error will always lead downhill. Wow, what an amazing thing. These three powers of Babylon now gather everybody to Armageddon. That's what John tells us next. It's incredible. How do they do it? Well, watch the subtle way in which these three powers take everybody to the battle of Armageddon. It's amazing. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. They're everywhere, we saw. Coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast from the sea and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons. But what are they doing? Performing miracles. Now, some people think every miracle must come from God. Uh Uh-uh. Not what the Bible says. Not all miracles. Even if you see someone who had a short leg and now it's as long as the other one, that doesn't necessarily mean it's coming from God. Because the Bible is very plain. Demons can work miracles which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world. What for? To gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Wow, something something sinister is happening here, you'll notice. Something that is just like the devil to deceive for what purpose? To destroy. We've seen that a number of times. So demonic global deceptions, what for? For, that is, signs and wonders, to deceive the world for one purpose. And we'll see what that purpose is. But let's have a look first of all. Is this actually happening today? Do we see signs and wonders coming from these three parts of Babylon the Great? Let's have a look at that for a moment. Let's begin with non-Christian powers and religions and worldviews, that which comes under the dragon and all his fronts. Do we see things happening in the non-Christian world and other religions? Yes, we do. You just think of Hollywood for a minute and think of the films that Hollywood has been pouring out year after year on the supernatural world, witchcraft, Occult, Ghost, Blair Witch, Charm, Sabrina, Harry Potter. And the list goes on and on and on. All of that stuff denies the truth of the Bible. The dead know nothing. It's coming out of Hollywood. It's coming to prepare the world for something that's about to happen. What about the new age with all its channeling, its astrology, Ouija boards and a whole host of things? that people get sucked into and it leads them into many dangerous things. How about out-of-body experiences we talked about? That sort of stuff happening all the time. And people think it's their immortal soul looking down on their body. We saw it clearly was not that. The dead know nothing. And my friends, what we're going to see in this presentation is that You and I need to be students of this book because there's coming a time, we said before, we cannot trust our eyes and our ears. 
we will have to stand on what the Bible says or we will be deceived. That's why God says it is written. That's how the de- Jesus confronted the devil when he tried to get him. It is written. What about re- reports of reincarnated lives? I was Mozart in a previous life and so on. What's going on here? Well, we could say the dead know not anything for sure, but the Bible really gives us a good one to help us to see this is not right. What's happening about this you know, reincarnation is totally wrong according to the Bible because the Bible says it is appointed unto men, that is humans, to die once, not a multiple times. It is appointed unto men to die once. After that, the judgment. So when people say, yeah, that's what I was like in a previous life, you know it's not true. It cannot be if we're going to stick with the Bible. So what about apostate Protestantism that has turned aside from the Bible? Do we see signs and wonders coming from this area today? Well, we surely do, don't we? We have all sorts of things, healings and prophecies. You know, the the fastest growing movement in the Christian church today is what we call the signs and wonders movement. Millions of people are moving in this direction today. Now, it sounds awfully good when you hear healings and signs and wonders, but it's not all coming from God, as we've seen. Notice what Jesus warned us with. Many will say to me in that day, that's the day he comes, Lord, Lord. See, they even, they even proclaim his name. They're Christian. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Wow. And done many wonders or signs or miracles in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Wow. Now think of that. These people have been doing signs and wonders, but I never knew you. Depart from me. Notice what he says next. You who practice Lawlessness. You see, because there are many Christians claiming today to do lots of healings, but I'll tell you what they say about the commandments of God. They were done away with at the cross. You know, this is a teaching of the devil. I don't care how many signs and wonders they do. The moment they say the commandments of God were nailed to the cross and we don't have to worry about them, there's a problem. Because we've seen in Revelation The great battle is going to be over the Ten Commandments in the end of time. No question about it. We've seen that very clearly. Now, so God says you need to test. We need to test these these things. Is it coming from God or is it coming from another source? And there's some very good tests. Two simple ones. Number one is the fruit test. And, And we have to apply this test to these people who are doing these things. Beware of false prophets, said Jesus. You will know them by their fruits, meaning their lifestyle. What are they like? Are they good people or do they live a double life? Now, let's think of Jesus for a moment. Jesus lived a life of purity. You never saw Jesus in bed with another woman, with a woman. Find me that place in the Bible. Simplicity. Jesus was not a showy person. He was a man of humility. Even when Jesus healed many times, he took people by the hand and he quietly healed them and said, tell no one. He didn't go about with a razzle-dazzle display. Now, I want you to think 
about what we often see today from the big name TV preachers. 1970 to 2011, I was noticing there were 30 scandals among some of the big time TV preachers and healers. Big time scandals. Sexual abuse, visiting prostitutes, fraud, theft, adultery, and so on and so forth. Now listen, we have to actually say, we have to study the fruits. We're not judging people. We're just saying this is clearly not of God when you see that sort of thing happening. Clearly, Jesus said, by their fruits, you will know them. Then there's a second test, Jesus said, do the commandment test. The Bible says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Do they follow and do they acknowledge that we need to follow God's commandments and his will. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 8, he's actually talking about people in Isaiah's day who were doing all these amazing things. And notice what he says of them. To the law and to the testimony. That means to the commandments of God and to the words of the Bible. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So my friends this afternoon, you know, these sorts of things are happening all around us and sometimes people are, are amazed and, and uh, incredible how we can be sucked in. I had an elder in one of my churches in New Zealand. He decided to go to one of these healing services. He was amazed what he saw. He said, Henry, what does the Bible say here, man? What does the Bible say? What do they say about the commandments of God? Law nailed to the cross? Got a problem here. Might be miracles, but are not coming from God. And these are the tests we have to apply. The law of love, God's commandments. What about the revived age, the revived dark age church of Rome that's renewed with great power in the end of time? Do we see signs and wonders coming from this source? We surely do. I have a book in my library called The Thunder of Justice. It's written by some devout people in the Church of Rome, Ted and Maureen Flynn. And what they do is they catalogue all the incredible uh, apparitions of the Virgin Mary that are taking place around the world. Things such as Lourdes and Fatima, Magidoria, former Magidoria and Yugos former Yugoslavia. And they, they, they catalogue them all. Many apparitions are taking place. Marian apparitions, we call them. What's going on here? I want you to notice Pope John Paul II, second, uh, Time magazine, an article called Mary, Handmaid or Feminist. In this article, I want you to notice what John Paul believed. He firmly believes that her personal intercession spared his life when he was shot at St. Peter's Square in Rome in 1981. Some of you may remember when uh, someone tried to assassinate Pope John Paul II. Well, he believes it was Mary who saved his life. But hang on a bit. Hang on a bit. Here you can visit the tomb of the Virgin Mary. She died. In fact, we call it the Domitian of the Virgin Mary, meaning her peaceful sleep of death. Nowhere does the Bible tell us that Mary was bodily raised or something, but people believe that, you know, she's still alive. But the Bible says she's sleeping till her son comes. So the dead know nothing 
So who's doing the talking? Who's doing the appearing? That's the question we have to ask. Otherwise, we're going to be sucked in and thinking, well, this is Mary that's appearing. But no, she's sleeping until Jesus wakes her up. So who's doing the talking? Who's doing the appearing? As we saw with, it's the demons. Sound like, look like, speak messages. So signs and wonders from Babylon, those three powers that make up Babylon, This is what John is talking about. Global demonic deceptions. What for? To lead people to worship Satan. You see, because when people see signs and wonders, most people immediately think this is from God. So we're going to follow what that person or people say and we'll follow them. He, the beast from the land, that's the apostate Protestantism here, performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. There was a great prophet who brought down fire from heaven. Who was that man? Elijah, the prophet of God. Remember, he prayed and the fire came down. That's why this beast is called the false prophet, because he's doing a great signs and wonders. But what does he do with them? And he deceives those. God's not in the deception business. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those miracles which he was granted to do. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and live. You see what's going on here? We saw last week that many people, well, we didn't see last week. We're seeing it in the next week, sorry. (laughs) Many people are going to be sucked in sucked in by signs and wonders must be from God others are going to be drawn in by the back pocket can't buy can't sell receive the mark of the beast devil has a plan for each one of us others are going to be the point of a gun you're going to do it or you're not you go die that's what the bible says three things the devil uses to try to get people to get give him worship And he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. That's the second beast does that. Worship the first beast, the sea beast. And what happens? So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. You see where this is heading? The whole reason for all of this is so you and I might ultimately worship Satan. And he's always wanted worship. He tried to get worship from Jesus. Just fall down and worship me. Remember that. So he's after your allegiance and mine. Powerful, demonic, global deceptions. We, as we say colloquially, we ain't seen nothing yet. We're going to see amazing things taking place. The Bible says Jesus is talking. For false Christs and false prophets, that means teachers and so on, will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, I'm glad, if possible, who? The, even the elect, that means God's friends, God's closest friends, even they would be deceived. So don't think this is going to be easy pickings. The only way you and I are going to survive is, number one, we have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. And we love him with all our heart, soul and mind. And secondly, we follow what he says and we read his word. We're students of the Bible. We're coming to that sort of time. All right. And deception 
leads to destruction. The two things this being lives for, deception to lead to destruction. So how do you and I avoid demonic deceptions? Because it's going to be really powerful. What and what way can we actually avoid? God gives us two things, and here they are. Number one, we must love and follow the truth. Paul puts it this way. The coming of the lawless one. This is Paul's antichrist. He says the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs and lying wonders. Seems like Paul's been reading Revelation, doesn't it? (laughs) Same thing. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why do they perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. My brothers and sisters this afternoon, sometimes when we read this book, we come across things that cut across what we're doing, don't we? I'm always finding that. And you'll always find that till you die or till Jesus comes. There'll be things God says, huh? need to change this here. Need to pick this thing up because there's more, more, more for us to be like Jesus. He accepts us as we are, but he'll keep showing us more. And what is the great test for you and I is we should never get to the point where we say, Lord, I'm going this far, but no further. No, we must always say, Lord, Lord, help me to go further. Help me to keep following, because what will the truth do? The truth will set us free. The more truth you know, the freer you're going to be when you follow it. The happier you're going to be. That's his point. Love the truth. And it will lead us on to great heights. The second one is we must heed God's final warning, a warning for our day today. Notice what the Bible says. After these things, I saw another angel. Thank God, another another angel's everywhere in Revelation, aren't they? For God so loved the world. Thank God he sends his angel. I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice. Notice what he cries. Babylon the great is fallen. Just like the second angel, but he's going to give more now. It's fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons. Notice what's happened. False teachings, when kept up, lead to demonic possession. It's become a dwelling place of demons. A prison for every foul spirit. For why? Because all nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Let me tell you something, my friend. If you and I know the truth and we come to a point where we decide we're not going to follow the truth, let me tell you the demons will soon take over your life. They will. They'll move in. That's what Jesus said. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. It's one of the great principles. Follow the truth and it will lead you closer to Jesus. Turn from the truth and the demons will take over in your life and mine eventually. That's what happens. The world is going to be full of demons. Why? For all the nations have drunk the wine, the false teachings. False teachings leads us to be taken over by this being. And then comes the cry in the night. Not from a little kid scared of the dark, but from God himself. This is the cry in the night. 
This is the last warning message to the world. Notice what God says. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, out of Babylon. My people. I love that phrase because it tells me God's got his kids in the Buddhist faith. God's got his kids in the Hindu faith. Because Babylon is made up of all that too, remember. God's got his kids in the Church of Rome, in the Protestant churches of all sorts, in all the isms, in all the things. God's got his kids and he's calling them. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. In other words, if you stay there, you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. So come out, says God, you cannot stay there. Babylon, the great. What a cry from God himself in the end of time. As he sees this great conglomeration called Babylon the great, he sees his kids in it. He says, my children, come out. Come out of her, my people. Babylon the great. Christian and non-Christian religions and worldviews that are not following God and his word. What an amazing appeal by God himself. It's fallen beyond repair, God says. So don't stay to fix it up. You must leave. Wow. Don't stay to try to fix it up. No, leave, says God. Why? Because to stay is to sin. And if you stay where the sin is and you won't follow, God says, well, of course, the wages of sin is death. My friends, this afternoon... It sounds pretty strong, doesn't it? But remember, this is the heart of God calling to all of us. Come out, my people. Don't stay or you receive the plagues. There's only two groups in the end of time. There's those who are inside Babylon who refuse to follow God. And there are those who come outside in obedience. That's it. There's no middle ground. We're either in Babylon or we've come out of Babylon. And that's how the Bible sees things in the end of time. No shades of grey. Either we're saved because we've come out, or we are forever lost because we stay in. That's the clear teaching of the Bible. I want to come back to ancient Babylon. I want you to notice what happened back there. You remember that Israel went into Babylonian captivity for 70 years... And then they came out. Notice who came out. A remnant of Israel left Babylon. We saw this word remnant last night, you'll recall. Now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, the remnant that were come out of the captivity, out of Babylon, he says, unto Jerusalem. Those who left Babylon and came back to Israel, the Bible calls them the remnant because they followed what God said. Many Jews did not come out. They stayed. But those who came out were called the remnant. So what's interesting now, John, because he's picking up the Old Testament passages and stories, guess what he calls those who leave end time Babylon in this great fight with the dragon? Bible says the dragon was wroth or angry with the woman and he went to make war with who? The remnant of her seed, says the Bible. So John sees another remnant. 
In the end times, this one comes out of Babylon. Now, the question tonight, this afternoon, as we close and take a break, is how can you possibly leave something which is dear to you? You know, you, maybe we belong to that faith. May we be belong to that club which we know, listen, this is, this is not, this is like one foot in the world and one in, in, in God's camp. How can we leave that which is dear to us? Maybe our parents brought us up in that faith. Maybe our father's the priest or the minister of that faith. How can we possibly leave that which is we've grown up with, which our parents held dear? Well, let me show you how it's possible. In other words, how do you overcome Babylon? John says in Revelation 15, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast and over his image, that's the image set up by the second beast, and over his mark and over the number of his name, they were standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. What's going on here? John is drawing from a picture that we find in Exodus chapter 15. Israel came out of Egypt. They came through the Red Sea and they stood there beside the Red Sea and they sang a song. It's called the Song of Moses. What does it mean? Oh God, they sang. We were caught between a rock and a hard place. We had the Egyptians breathing down our necks with all their stuff, their, their artillery. We had the sea in front of us. We were stuck. But you, oh God, you blew with your winds and you made a way through the sea. It's a song about the power of God to deliver from the worst of enemies, the most powerful of enemies. What's the lamb bit? Well, you remember, how did Israel come out of Egypt? God said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I've warned you nine times. If you do not let my people go, I'm going to bring one more plague. And that plague will be that your firstborn and all the firstborn of man and animal in Egypt will die. It'll happen even in Israel's part of Egypt. Unless you take a lamb and you kill it and you take the blood and you sprinkle the blood and wipe it on the doorpost. And when that angel of destruction comes, if he sees the blood, he'll pass over. And when God's people put that blood on the doorposts, the angel passed over and the Egyptians, they realized God was with them. And Pharaoh said, get out of here. I've had enough of you guys. And they left Egypt by the blood. So when we see the song of Moses and the Lamb, it's saying there's only one way to overcome anything in life, including these three characters, and that is by Jesus Christ, because he is the power of God unto salvation. When you and I go to the cross of Calvary, we can do anything. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. My friend, today there is coming a time when you and I are going to be pressured to join this crowd. And there's only one way that we're going to overcome, and that is by clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ and holding on to him and claiming him and saying, Lord, I'm in you. You're in me. What a tremendous picture that we have there in the book of Revelation.
Well, what about these 144,000? Because we said we'd talk about that. Well, you wait till after the second presentation, okay? <laughs> and we'll talk about the 144,000 because we, we need to address that one. But that'll come after. If you want to stay behind, we'll talk about that. But let's have prayer together because you can see this is a vital topic, can't you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, what an amazing picture we have here in the Bible. Thank you, God, that you love your children. Lord, they're in atheistic places, worldviews and all sorts of ideologies. You've got your kids there because that's what the Bible says. You've got them in the Church of Rome, many godly people there. Many godly people in all the different Protestant churches. Father, we pray, Lord, that you will help all of us to heed the voice of God, to follow the truth because we love it, and to heed that voice of God which says, come out, don't stay there, because if you stay, you receive the plagues. Father, help us to determine today that we will follow God by his power. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Countdown Back to the Future, made available by the Victoria Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page, Vic Park SDA Church. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Darkness seems to fill his face I rest on his unchanging grace In every high and stormy gale My anchor holds within the veil On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand Fountain View Academy saying, My hope is built on nothing less.
listening to Mission Stories for Kids with Uncle Gordon, where you will hear first-hand accounts of answers to prayer and miracles from God. Oh, by the way, I think adults will like this too. G'day boys and girls, Uncle Gordon here. Lovely to be with you and to be able to share a story with you again. When I was living and working in the Solomon Islands, I had the privilege one time of travelling over by plane initially to the Western Solomons and then by canoe across to our mission headquarters at Kukundu and then in a little boat, about 28 foot long, a little timber boat called the Dani. We travelled by boat right around to the island of Choisal and I had the joy of being part of a whole series of meetings in a number of villages on Choisal Island. We had finished all those meetings and we're heading back along the northern coast of Choisal, back towards the, the big pathway, the, the riverway that would go right through splitting the Choisal Island, a big passage. And it was nightfall by the time we got to that passage and we began travelling through this long passage and, and all of a sudden one of the men on the boat, one of the crew said, Oh, the boat's leaking. And I said, Oh... What's, what's the trouble? He said, oh, it's coming up through the keel. The keel was made of one huge, big, thick piece of timber. A new keel was waiting back at Kukundu at the mission headquarters to put in and new timbers to replace those that were rotting. The old boat was needing a full repair and this was starting to prove that the boat was probably a bit too late to be repaired. It should have been done before this trip. And they said, oh, no, the keel's leaking. And so I went to have a little look to see what was going on and, and water was starting to spurt through parts of the, of the floor from the keel. And uh, quickly one of the men turned on the little pump to pump water out, but the water was coming in quicker than they could pump it out. And so each of us grabbed a little bit of corking compound. That's a little compound we would press together and press in where the water was coming out to try and fill the hole so that it would quickly stick through the water. It would stick to the timber and stop the water coming out. But every time we would press the corking compound into a hole that was made by the water, then it would spurt out somewhere else. And the water just kept coming in and coming in. And the captain eventually said, I think we might have to beach the boat. He said, we'll have to run the boat up onto the shore and then let it lie over on its side. We'll have to get out and we'll have to wait till, um, till daylight and see what we can do to fix it in daylight. It's a bit too hard just with torches here at night and we'll just leave it on the side of the bank until we can fix it. So then I said, well, is it good to get out of the water? Is it safe the water's here? And I picked up a big torch I carried with me and shone that torch along the river bank. And everywhere I shone the torch, there were reflections back at us. You know, those reflections were the eyes of crocodiles that were lying on the banks on both sides of the river all the way through this passage. And I said, I'm not really thrilled about the idea of getting out of the boat into the water with all those crocodiles there. And some of those crocodiles were very, very big. You know, we've had some in Australia that have grown to, to 20 feet plus more. And many of these were that big and some of them even bigger again. Big saltwater crocs, as dangerous as any of our saltwater crocs in Australia. And they said, yeah, well, we don't really want to get out there. We can see all those crocs now as they're reflecting off your light. What do we do? And I said, I think we need to talk to God about this. And so we just knelt there on the floor and paused in trying to fill the little holes for a few moments and said, Lord, 
you know, there's waters coming in quicker than we can stop the, the holes that are being created by the water being dragged into this, this rotten keel. Please help us to be able to stop this water so we can continue our journey safely. Then we finished our little prayer and all were working flat out just for another five minutes, pushing this corking comp into every place where the water spurted out and then we waited. And after a few moments, it spurted out somewhere else and we quickly filled that hole. We waited for a few moments. The water spurted out another spot. We filled that hole quickly. Then we waited and there was no more spurting of water. And so the captain got the engines going again, turned the boat around and we headed back along the passage and all the way home, we had no more water coming in. Yes, he did keep the, the little pump going to push the water out in case there was some other coming in through other parts of the rotten old hull that we had on the boat. But we made it home safely that night. And we were so grateful to God for being there to give us the patience and the endurance to keep pushing that corking compound into the holes, but then eventually to stop that water coming in at all. We didn't want to face crocs that night, and so we were so grateful to God for intervening for us again. Thank you for listening, boys and girls. God is there for you at all times. And sometimes then when we're doing things for him or helping somebody, sometimes it can be hard work. But he still wants to be there, a part of that, doing anything, helping you with anything you're wanting to do to help somebody in need, to support somebody. God wants to be a part of that. He's motivated you to want to do it. And so he wants to give you strength and capacity to do something special for somebody else. So thank you for listening and God bless you, boys and girls. to Mission Stories for Kids with Uncle Gordon, a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.